Welcome back to the podcast. This week we talk about Tesla, Netflix, and macro. Not a ton of crypto news this week. However, it seems that all roads lead to Bitcoin, so we get there eventually. All right, let's go. Kendall. Happy Thursday. Good morning. Welcome back. Yes. What is this? Episode number six? Six. Yeah. All right. Very good. We're just uh, trudging along. Love it. You having a good week so far? Yeah. It's been kind of a slow week, honestly, but that's um, highly welcomed after a couple weeks of craziness. Yeah, no, for sure. Cool. Well, let's just jump right into it. I mean, I think today we should we should jump around and talk about the market uh, just overall a little bit. We can zero in on uh, some specific names. Um, I know on that side, there's a lot of news. Um, I know we were just talking right, right before we went on air. There's not a ton of crypto news um, to share. And so let's start with um, let's start with Tesla. Did you see the uh, the earnings that came out yesterday? Heard they were, I heard they were good, but I didn't look at specifics. What can you What can you tell me? So they posted a quarterly profit of three point three billion. Um, so just absolutely insane. That looks like dang, they're, they're, that's profit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it looks like they're up um, rose seven percent before the opening bell Thursday. So they're trading. 1046 a share. So I guess my question to you would be, are you a Tesla holder? And if not, um, or well, we'll just start there. Are you a Tesla holder? Or how do you feel? About, I know you're a Tesla car holder. <laughs> Where are you a stockholder? Uh, I, I, I own Tesla stock. I wrote it all the way up, but um, okay. I, uh, I was like, this is obviously not good. Obvious, yeah. obvious bubble territory. And so I sold about a year ago. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy because they, for a, for a long time, they were not profitable, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. Right. I mean, the, they were, um, I, I want to say it wasn't until 2020 that they were first profitable. And even like their profitability is, has been largely predicated on, um, like carbon credits. And, mm. and so yeah. I, I would say that it's may, it, it might be possible. I don't know any of the details, but it might be possible that this quarter was the first quarter that they were like truly profitable, like not counting, um, carbon credits actually fun fact. Sorry, I'm rambling a little bit, but fun fact, You're good. uh, Elon sold, they sold like a $280 million, um, you know, stake in Bitcoin about a, about a year, a couple quarters ago, a few quarters ago. And if you remember, it was everybody's like, oh, Tesla sold some Bitcoin. They still own mm -hmm. like a lot, right? But everybody's like, right. oh, Tesla, Tesla sold. And uh, Elon came on Twitter and he was like, no, we were just testing, uh, you know, market liquidity. And really mm -hmm. what it was, was they had a bad quarter and they were using their Bitcoin to make up for it. 
Yeah. Well, they, it, yeah, I saw that they did not sell any Bitcoin um, last quarter, like for the first quarter of 22. So, so that's a good sign. And yeah, and then it, it's obvious why they didn't have to. They did so well this quarter. So, but yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, given the headwinds, um, I was looking, uh, where was it? You know, there's some trouble that's going on in China just generally um, with the, with the lockdown. So um, the fact that they were able to do that was pretty crazy. I know in, uh, what was that? Was that March, I guess, when we went to the Tesla store down in Florida and oh, test yeah. drove, test yeah. drove. I mean, remember we walked in and they were like, we've got one left. And, <laughs> and I was like, I'm just here to test drive a <laughs> test drive one. So, and then I think Camden tried to, when, when Camden was down in Naples before the Bitcoin conference, he tried to sign up to test drive one and they were, they were like completely out of them. He got a message back. So, um, so yeah, they're just, it seems like they're flying off the shelves. Um, I talked to a new client yesterday. She lives in Austin, Texas, and she was, we were kind of talking through some of her purchases for the last year. And she was like, I bought two cars in 2021. I was like, Oh, what'd you get? She was like, I got a brand new model Y and a brand new model three. Dang. Okay. Nice. There you go. So anyways, all that to say, yeah, I think, um, I think network effect is just going, going crazy right now. And people are just wanting, they're just wanting Tesla's mostly I would say for like the staple of it, right? Like I am a, a well-off person. And then maybe, you know, there's some people who are like a, uh, you know, more concerned about the environment. And so they're, they're driving it for that reason. And then, I mean, there's definitely been a push. I've seen a push in mainstream media and, you know, from the government too, to like, Hey, have you, have you considered, you know, getting either a hybrid vehicle or, um, or a fully electric, like a Tesla. So yeah, anyways, let me tell, let me I think tell, this is just the beginning. Let me tell some Tesla stories. Yeah. So, um, I got my Tesla, I have a model three standard range plus. So I have like the, the most basic Tesla cause I'm a cheap person. I, I will say that the one thing that I've, that I think I did wrong is you should definitely go for the long range. Mm-hmm. It's quite a bit more, but <clears throat> standard range plus is like 250 mile range, 267 actually. And it's just like, not quite enough. Like whenever you, whenever you're, whenever you're on road trips, you every roughly every like two hours, you just want to pull over because like, you're just like tired of staring at the road and you want to get some food. Maybe you need to go to the bathroom, just like a natural thing that you want to do. Um, and that makes perfect sense. It's actually very pleasant with electric vehicles, Tesla specifically, because they're supercharger network in that, um, you pull over, you plug in your car, go grab some food. They're all, all the superchargers are next to like really great stuff. You can go buy food, go to the bathroom, whatever. And then yeah. by the time, by the time you get back, you're fully charged. And so you can be on your way. But the problem with the standard range plus is it really probably only gets you like an hour and 15 minutes until you have to like pull over again, maybe an hour 30, depending on certain conditions. Um, But uh, the the long range will get you like that full two hours, right? Okay. Um, Yeah. But uh, so you would suggest spending the extra money on the longer range 
And yeah. Do like, you do you have the the self driving feature? Yeah, I, I I went for the self driving feature um, instead of the long range, but I kind of wish that I did the other way. Okay. Um, we can talk about self driving, but so the the like okay, so I bought mine in 2019 and May 2019, so it's only it's almost three years old, my baby. <laughs> it has like uh, 36,000 miles on it right now. Okay. Um, when I bought it, I got standard range plus black, um, with full self-driving at the time, full self-driving was only $6,000. Um, and now I think it's like $12,000. Um, if I go, I'm on Tesla's site right now. Okay. So did I say how much I paid for it? Sorry. I'm like, no. Okay. I, <laughs> I paid, I paid, um, so the whole package costs like this, the final ticket price, including they charge you like a delivery fee because that's like not cheap. It's like $2,000. Um, the final ticket price is like $46,000. Um, and then on top of that, at the time they were, I still had the tax credit. And so I was able to get like $4,000 back, um, uh, you know, and so really I only paid 42,000, right? <clears throat> right, right now, if I go to the site, I deck it all out uh, with the same exact setup, then it costs me, it costs $60,000. So, mm. and there's no more tax credit either. So, right. So yeah, it's, it's, it was cheaper for me at the time. <laughs> I mean, you're talking, uh, a 50% increase basically from, from what I paid to, to what it costs now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to me that they don't have that tax credit in place anymore for Tesla's. It's, it's really mind boggling. You, you'd think with the push, it, I mean, it seems like it's been more of a narrative push right now um, from this administration to, to uh, for people to at least consider purchasing a, an electric vehicle, but it's like, most normal, you, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're unique, Kendall. Most, most people cannot afford the, that high ticket price. Right. And so they need the government, if they really want people to adopt this, they, uh, they need to give those incentives back. So we will see, I've not heard any, any rumblings that that's coming back. Um, yeah, but, no, it's, it's almost definitely not coming back. The, yeah. um, the reason why it doesn't, they don't do it anymore is because, they're trying to incentivize market competition, right? So if you go buy like an electric Ford or, mm -hmm. or Volkswagen or something, the, the tax credit does actually still exist. Right. Um, yeah, that's what's so annoying is they have this tax. Yeah, they have that um, IRS 30D tax credit for a whole slew of other vehicles, mm -hmm. but not the Tesla. So it's interesting. Yeah, but and then there's no expenses on the on the Tesla, really, right? I mean, when I was talking to that girl yesterday, it's like she was she was hoping that she could write a, a bunch of it off for against her taxes because she uses both of them for for her business, and it's like, well, there we're gonna just have to write off the mileage. There's not unless you get the Model X, it's not heavy enough to do the Section 179, write it all off at the first year. So pretty much just write off the mileage, and that's based off whatever the the rate is per year. So there's, they're super cheap to operate. Like I probably spend, uh, maybe like less than $50 a month on my Tesla and I drive it like a lot. Yeah. Um, and you know, that I, that's basically all going towards electric. 
Right. Um, so they're super cheap to operate. I think that a couple years back I calculated it. It was like um, a, a, the regular gas car. They say you know, this is a couple years. It's probably probably more now. Uh, a couple years back, it was like the, uh, a gas car costs like fifty cents a mile. And by my calculation at the time for my Tesla specifically, I was paying like 10 cents a mile. Uh, wow. so, so yeah, like for example, if you imagine taking a road trip down to like South Florida, right? So we live in Kentucky. Say you want to go down to South Florida and you want to drive, you're going to yeah. spend in a gas vehicle, several hundred dollars, maybe three, maybe two, two, between two and $500, depending on your, your, your vehicle, right. um, on, on gas, right. You can do the same trip in a Tesla for like less than 50. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so you just have to be a little bit more strategic about where you stop and like to, to recharge. Right. Yeah. Like the road tripping in a Tesla is very different because you have to charge it. But in a way I, I try to explain this to people. It's difficult to understand until you kind of do it in a way. It's actually more, it's much more pleasant even though you're stopping, even though it takes longer to get there, it's a more desirable journey because, and let's just first break down the time. So say, I think from here to like South Florida in a gas vehicle, probably take you about 16 hours. Let's call it 15 hours in a Tesla probably take you. I mean, probably will actually take you more like 21, 22. So it's maybe like a 50% increase in time, time, uh, journey time. But it's, it's much more pleasant <clears throat> for two reasons. The biggest thing is the, is the uh, self-driving or the autopilot, which all Teslas come with this version of the autopilot, which is like on the highway, you can turn it on and it drives for you. Um, I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? Because like a 16 hour drive, 15 hour drive of nonstop dr- actual driving is like, I don't know about you, but I, I loathe that. I hate that so much. Yeah. Um, the Tesla drives itself. So it's like, I'm just like browsing Twitter while I'm driving down the highway, <laughs> uh, not recommended, but I do, it, you know? Um, and then, um, and like I said, like the, the stopping is actually very pleasant, um, because like all the super, first off, there's a ton of superchargers. Like if you just go look at the map, people, it blows people away. People are like, what? There are that many superchargers. There are a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and they, they're all like located next to like food or convenience stores or like shopping centers. Like they're all, it's actually all quite snooty really. Like they're, they put them in like really nice parts of town <laughs> and yeah. like, um, but, uh, but it's pleasant. Yeah. Overall, great, great experience. Great car. I mean, it's just like a different, it's almost, it's just totally on a different level than any, any other car. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at this article from wall street journal. It said, Elon said that the company would likely produce more than 1.5 million vehicles in 2022. And that is up 60% over last year. So yeah, it is just blowing up. That's so. a lot. That's a lot. Well, we've rambled about Tesla. I could talk forever about Tesla. But I know. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's switch over. I mean, okay. so that's, so that's one that uh, that's one ticker that is just going off. Let's talk about, we at least should address the one that's like going crazy the other way. Netflix um, looks like they lost, um, I think I saw over 200,000 paid subscribers in the first quarter and they are down 35% um, worst day since 2004. 
So, I mean, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I have some thoughts. Let's see. What okay. do I want to say? I guess if, first off, if you look from absolute peak to trough, so they're down 35% in like a day. But um, if we go back to November of last fall, they were up, they were at $680 and they're now at $200. So mm. it's like a 70% drop or something like that. Wow. Um, so that, I mean, that's dot-com bubble level of, uh, of crash. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, poor Netflix. I'm a OG Netflix guy. Like, like I'm pretty sure I'm my, my account dates back to like 2000, sheesh, 2008, even maybe like a long time ago. Wow. And you're even, getting the things mailed to you. <clears throat> yes. I, <laughs> I was getting the discs mailed to me. And when they first came out with the streaming thing, it was the same way when I saw YouTube back in like 2010, I was like, I was like, Oh, like, this is the thing. Like, this is where everything's going. Um, so poor Netflix. Here's the thing about Netflix. Their content is not great. Okay. Mm. This is what it all comes down to for me personally. Um, is the quality of the, the product or service and, their their quality has declined like i would say that it's all relative because relative to other market competitors but you know even as early as three three years ago i would say that netflix was up there with hbo right they were releasing things and i was like wow this is really impressive and now if you look at the current the current market of streaming services like netflix basically netflix has devolved into more of like a cable package and so you just get all this garbage and like, it, it really destroys your brand and mm-hmm. uh, that's not good. Uh, whereas like, I think, you know, in my opinion, the best streaming services in terms of quality are HBO and Apple TV. How about Apple TV? They came from behind. I think they make killer content. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Sucks for Netflix, but you know. They definitely aren't coming back very much either. I mean, it's not, this is not like one of these stocks where it's like we're in deep value territory. No, I think that this stock is largely destroyed in a lot of ways. Uh, And the last comment I'll make is the Bill Ackman. Are you familiar with the Bill Ackman story? I've seen, I've seen uh, memes going around about him, like to pray for him and things, but I don't, I I have not, uh, no, I have not connected the dots. I'm not familiar. Oh, poor Bill. Poor Bill. People, people like to really hype up Bill Ackman as like this legendary investor. I don't know. I've personally never seen it. I've always been like, I mean, he's good, but he's not like, he's not a Stanley Drunken Miller. Anyway, he, uh, I think in January he bought like a one point something billion position, and he had to sell yesterday, and he he lost four hundred million. Oh my gosh! Dang. Uh, well. Yeah, I don't feel bad for him either. I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> um, I mean, I I think it could be like, you know, I'm reading, I'm seeing here like several other streaming stocks. They fell on Wednesday too. So like Paramount Global was down 8%, almost nine. Warner Brothers was down six. Uh, Walt Disney was down uh, 5.5. Spotify was down 11%. So like that, what that almost signals to me is, we've we've been in this whole pandemic uh thing for whatever it's been two years now or so and 
now people I think are finally getting out um, not and not being glued to their television so much. They might be, uh, you know, walking around or going on trips or hanging out with friends again. And so they're just not as glued to, you know, glued to the different streaming services, whether it's music or, um, or television. So that might be one part. I have heard a lot of people, you know, on the Netflix side, it's like, just stick to the basics, you know, really what people want to turn on is like friends or um, Seinfeld or the office or something like that. And just give us the OG things that people just watch over and over again, instead of trying to plunge all of this money into creating new content that people are just not as, they're just not as tied to it, I think. So, and then, and then, yeah, there are so many options now, right? Like when Raven and I are pulling up, like, what do we want to watch before we go to bed? It's like, I jump around between Hulu, Netflix, HBO, Amazon, Prime. I don't have, I don't think I have Apple TV. And so there's just so many options, right? And if I go to Netflix, it's because we're watching Seinfeld. It's not because I'm going to watch one of their new like releases or something. So yeah, I would say do I would not get into Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. in, in some ways it signals like an end of an era, you know? So yeah. I think it's, it's cool that we talked about it. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty. Well, I think one other piece that'd be interesting i know you sent me this tweet from preston pish on existing home sales getting punished um and then you know here in what like two weeks the fed is going to meet um may 3rd and 4th most likely raise uh the interest rates up 50 basis points um 25 or 50 we'll see where they where they land on that but what do you what are your thoughts on the home sale? I mean, just home stuff in general. I mean, I know for us personally, I'm potentially pushing off a home purchase now just because I don't want to get tied into a really high interest rate for 30 years. I mean, I know you bought a home. You snuck in last year. It was last year, right? Mm-hmm. I bought the yeah. bottom. I bought the yeah. bottom. Yeah, you dog. <laughs> so, um yeah, I mean, are you are you worried about the housing market? Are you thinking that we are going to start seeing prices start to come down and people um, potentially be upside down on mortgages, like we saw in 0708? Or yeah, I think that's the, all going. I don't know, like um, I don't know a lot of the technicals in this in this market. Like, I don't know what tickers to even to even watch, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I what I know is. The, it's it all comes down to the mortgage rate, right? And the mortgage rate, like I locked in my mortgage rate under three percent, uh, and that yeah. was that was in December, so that was five months ago. Um, and between five months ago and now, I'm looking at I'm looking at mortgage rates right now, and they are over five percent. Um, yeah. So the the speed at which the mortgage rate has just spiked dramatically is is significant. And that's why you're seeing existing home sales also, uh, you know, dropping significantly, right? Because to your point, people are just like you, they're like, you know, like I'm not really comfortable getting in at 5%. Like, that's not really what I want to do. So I'll just wait. Um, But, um, you know, like actually the best thing to do, I was thinking about this. The best, the best outcome is actually not what I did which is where you have 
like uh, where you buy the bottom of the mortgage rates. What you want to do is you want to buy the, the absolute top of the mortgage rates whenever after home crisis have already crashed, right? Mm. And and I'll explain why in a second, but let me explain some background. So the mortgage rate is primarily driven by home sales, right? And right now the mortgage rate is high because home sales are blowing up, right? So prices are skyrocketing on houses uh, uh, and real estate and the mortgage rate, basically they use the mortgage rate to, to, to calm that down. Um, and then the inverse also becomes true, which is that if sales are not high enough, you can lower the, the mortgage rate and incentivize people to go buy new homes, right? And so the, the mortgage rate is actually a lagging indicator of home prices. It lags behind home prices. So really what you want to do is you want to... Now, I'm not advising anybody to try this, but it's just a fun thought experiment to think about. What you really want to do is you want to wait for the housing market to crash. And so prices plummet. And then keep that high interest rate, um, like buy it right then. And then because you're basically buying the bottom of the of the housing price. Right. And then a couple of years later, just refinance whenever, even like a year later, refinance whenever mortgage rates have to drop lower, right? So you're basically locking in the lowest price, change. the lowest price and the lowest mortgage rate. Yeah. Yeah. Because whenever you refinance, it's not like you're you're changing the price of your home, the price you're, you're keeping the price of your home fixed and you're just changing your interest rate basically. Well, I think you have to, the only issue. Yeah. I don't think it comes into play because if, as long as you are fairly sure that you are buying closer to the bottom, then as long as it doesn't continue to tank, right. And then you go to refinance. Cause I think if you go to refinance and the value of the home is, is lower um, then it, it kind of shuffles things and mm-hmm. a little bit. So, yeah, not, not recommended. And it's actually probably not entirely true. What I, what everything I just said, but it's a fun, it's a fun thought experiment. I think that generally the, the outlook is to just buy whatever mortgage rates are low, right? That's the safest. Yeah. Safest but I mean, trend. I think we're moving into a, a time um, where that's just not going to be a luxury we can all enjoy anymore. Um so yeah, at least talk- for, at least for I've, a year or so. I've talked about this before. I mean, the unfortunate reality is that, um, like real estate prices can't really drop that much solely based on commodity prices mm-hmm. because if commodity prices are increasing, which they are, and they're going to continue to increase, then it becomes much more expensive to build a home and then um, prices have to reflect, you know, basically the cost to build. So the way I view real estate- You have said that. You're like, you think it's cheaper to to build. Well, it was for a while. Actually, right now, it's really, really risky to, to try and build because supply chains are so broken that- people are getting locked into a, like like construction contracts and like, they don't even get the, like, they're like, we don't even know when this is going to be finished because we can't order like the required supply, which is a terrible thing to that. Would, Cause then you're paying like a mortgage and, and like a rent fee. Right. 
Right. Um, so. Okay. No, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, it kind of takes me over to, I know we both listened to that uh, Preston Pish and several other, or maybe it's one other guy, Leonard something. Mm-hmm. Those two guys talking about the macro environment. I mean, let, let's jump over to that really quick. I just want to hear your thoughts. I know I texted you a little bit about it and you said it was a little um, overstated probably, but like just for anyone who hasn't listened to it, it's on the in- investors podcast. Uh, we study billionaires essentially a macro overview. And these guys were essentially calling um, that the stock market is most likely, or I should, maybe I shouldn't say most likely, that it potentially could drop 50% and that we move into a period of like hyperinflation um, where it continues to, inflation doesn't really like come back down and it continues to rise. Um, so yeah, I want to get your thoughts on that because I, that that podcast scared me. <laughs> I will admit. Yeah. So here's the thing. I I love Preston. I'm a big fan of Preston's work. In fact, Preston is the guy who really got me into Bitcoin. And um, Preston is the guy who really sent me down this long rabbit hole for the last three or four years of like really getting getting into finance. Like I was an OG Preston list listener when they were talking about when they were still like Warren Buffett acolytes. Um, yeah. Now that's not. You know, but uh, so I I love Preston's work and he they produce amazing content, amazing content. I highly suggest if people are curious, check them out. Here's here's the criticism that I have. I think that if it bleeds, it leads, and you gotta look at the incentive structure of every person. Um, like one of the things that I pride myself on is that look. I'm just a software developer. Okay. I have no incentives to, to be swayed one way or the other. Like <laughs> I'm collecting a paycheck. You can't, you can't like sway my belief systems. Um, but see Preston is running a media network and if it bleeds, it leads. Right. And so he's incentivized to oversell things to, to some extent. Um, so, so then I just, that's the criticism but realistically, Preston is actually probably the most correct of any media <laughs> that I'm listening to, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that's scary, right? Because if you listen to that episode, um, I forget the guy's name. I think it was Leonard something. It was like yeah. three or four weeks back. Um, it is quite alarming, the, the things that they're saying. Um, uh, but, uh, okay, so I wanted to just cover that. That's, that's my only criticism of like that episode specifically is it's uh, people shouldn't like people shouldn't panic from it. Mm-hmm. You know, at the most they should uh, feel like a concern, right? Like they should feel like a deep concern and you should use that concern to like learn, new, learn new things. Um, okay. Technically let's talk about the markets. So <sighs> We, we've talked about this several times. It's like macro is such a difficult thing to, to really grasp. I, like I'm a better listener than I am a talker. <laughs> and so like uh, it's going to be difficult for me to convey, you know, like what I think is really going on with macro, but I will try. Um, with macro, the biggest thing right now in macro that it's the elephant in the room that uh, some people are talking about, other people um, are kind of afraid to talk about 
is what is the debt to GDP ratio, right? So yeah. your, your nation state's debt um, compared to their GDP, right? And um, basically all around the world right now, we're in a massive credit bubble, like a massive credit bubble. Our debt to GDP is, is too large. And debt is the most important. It's, um, it's the highest priority financial instrument. Like in the case of insolvency, the debtors get paid first. That's all, that's, they always get paid first. Um, and so if you think about it just legally through, through, cause we live in a civilized world, we have, we have rules. Um, the rules like that our civilization has agreed upon is that debt is the most important. And so if you understand that, and then you also understand that our debt levels are astronomical compared to what we can create, that's our GDP, then it's suddenly everything starts to get a little scary. And then you start looking at things like Russia invading Ukraine and you start scratching your chin and you're like, Hmm, okay, this is interesting. Um, and so anyway, yeah, to tie it back to equities too, the, I think that basically we are also in a massive equity bubble and the real bubble is the debt bubble, but equities are lower priority than debt because again, the debtors get paid first. And so it's possible that the equity market could absolutely get destroyed and it would affect the debt markets as well, but it would be worse than the debt markets. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just so everyone knows, like right now we are at 137.2% debt to GDP ratio right now, which is based on this chart that I'm looking at is the highest it's ever been. I mean, the only time it looks like it's been even close to this high was during World War II. Yeah. And so we're kind of like, we're in uncharted waters right now with, uh, at least for the United States. Um, so yeah. Uh, and, and there was actually a good video that, that, um, that Ray Dalio put out, it was kind of like pumping his book a little bit, uh, the changing world order principles for dealing with the changing world order with, I guess this is his book and kind of just talks about these different cycles of, of, uh, countries having a rise and then a top and then a fall. And, and then each with each of those cycles, other, pretty much other powers exchange, um, kind of exchange power, you know, at first it was the dutch then it was the english now it's the americans and then what he argued a lot in the i don't know if he does this in the book but he kind of hinted a ton at like china being the next world you know being the next dominant uh that was one of my disagreements with the video um the other thing so why hold on let me stop why do you disagree with that i just think that well i i don't think that he brought into um he just wasn't considering technology as much as I hoped he would have. He was, he was, his whole thing was like, I'm looking back to the past to try to predict what's going to happen in the future. And, and what's happened in the past is pretty much there's been war, like traditional war. And that's how these things kind of 
play out, right? Where one power kind of falls and another power rises to the top. But what I, what I don't think you can predict um, by looking at the past is how all of the technological advances plays into all this. And mostly from like, a, you know, we're not really, I don't think we're, the amount of like real physical war that's going to be fought over the next 50 years, I think will dwindle. And the amount of war that's fought over, you know, energy grid systems and over cybersecurity and things like that, I think the, those types of wars will only grow. Yes. And I just don't understand how looking at the past is going to help us predict, you know, predict what's going to happen in the future. And yeah, I mean, from, I just, the, to answer your question on the China thing, I just, I just don't see China's hmm. overall model being able to play out at scale because it doesn't allow for as much, you know, just like free market to move about. And um, so. Totally, totally. I, I, I actually agree with you. I think that a lot of people are of the opinion that China will be the next superpower, but I'm with you. I don't think that's the case. And uh, for me, it comes down to incentives, it comes down to a giant incentive structure and um, the incentive structure of communistic regimes, probably not going to make it in my opinion. Um, but yeah, and I think that you've raised it, you raise interesting points too. It's like the future of war is some people are actually saying, some people are saying, I don't know. I don't know where I land on this. Some people, many people are saying, uh, <laughs> um, so, some people are saying that, um, world war three has actually already started. Right. And, um, I think that the argument is predicated on the future of war is basically a war that we don't see, right? It's a war. Cybersecurity is a major part of that, but also, um, well, I don't know how I say this, but like, you ever heard of like um, the Green Berets or uh, SEAL Team Six? Yeah. Um, actual kinetic uh, events meaning, you know, guns and missiles and whatever are, are extremely targeted. Right. And they're extremely right. calculated. Um, and you will never even, never even know that it, that it even happened. Um, as, you know, for example, like I was <laughs> like, uh, about a year ago, or maybe it was like 10 months ago or whatever. I was like, I was like, I need to get out of town to take a little quick vacation, solo vacation. I went to Asheville, North Carolina. Lovely place, by the way. I recommend mm -hmm. you check it out. Have you been there? Yes. Okay, great place. Beautiful. And uh, one night I got drunk drunk at a bar and met this guy uh, who is a, a fighter pilot like in the Air Force, right? And he was actually, it was so funny because he was in the same boat. He was like, yeah, I just needed to get away for a little bit. I actually don't even live here. I'm just here to, because I needed a solo vacation. Anyway, we got drunk and we bonded. And, uh, and he was telling me these stories of like, yeah, that they will send us in like deep parts of Africa that we don't even like, we don't get told what it's about. We just fly the plane. Right. And we carry like SEAL Team 6, basically they go in and out. And, uh, sometimes there's like a duffel bag that comes out, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so anyway, it's, uh, 
it's all it's all quite interesting the future of war it's good yeah. though i mean it's good because like it's it's a signal that humanity is becoming more like empathetic towards each other like the the concept of a great war um should be avoided at all costs and it's good that we can kind of recognize that you know yeah yeah no i mean i hope i hope that it's all it's much more with technology things are more targeted you know with like drones and things like that we're pretty much how russia is going about the war right now like i wish you know i hope that the future of war looks a lot different than that and if you really need to take out a, a bad actor you can do it in a targeted way that's not affecting civilians and stuff like that but you know the other side of the coin is history repeats itself and so we might end up um falling back into uh just mass destruction and and casually just because i don't know just because war is it seems like it's inevitable i mean if push comes to shove humans are capable of pretty bad things you know if like if it's your family that's at risk how far are you willing to go right right um and so i yeah i think that that's what's so that's one of the things that's so shocking to what's happening in ukraine right now is i think a lot of the at least a lot of the western world I'm in the Western world, so I can, I can touch on that is like, just so shocked that we were basically, we're, we're like, we thought that this was over. Like we thought that this wouldn't happen again. And right. uh, here we are. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, really <laughs> all roads lead to Bitcoin. Okay. Really, sure. in my opinion, this, and this is what I think Preston really, really deeply understands is that the money is a big, is a big, big thing because the money sets the incentive structure and, um, the incentive structure basically, you know, like Munger says, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Um, and, uh, I mean, ultimately the, the biggest problem in the world right now is our financial system is predicated on money that is debt based and that debt is out of control. And basically you have 10 paper notes for every one physical commodity. And now you have yeah. people that are pointing guns at each other and saying, who's going to get that one commodity. Right. Uh, because the paper doesn't really mean anything in that scenario. That was a big right. takeaway from that podcast for me was like own physical things, develop real life skills and get away from everything that has a, any hint of an IOU. Um, so yeah, some something related to like a paper representation of a commodity and legit like go back to the basics almost. Yes. And uh, even, the, even though we can still enjoy technology, like understanding how to utilize the earth to grow food and raise animals. And like, I know that sounds so weird in our like, in our you know, society of like global trade and all this stuff. But, but seriously, like who is left holding the actual thing that people want? Not like a triple tiered promise uh, that's built on top of the actual thing. And so, yeah, it's, and then it, you know, that, that drives a ton of decision-making, you know, whether it's, what are you holding your wealth in all the way to, are you living on a piece of land or are you living in an apartment? Like if you are living in an apartment in a big city and the shelves are empty at the grocery store, what do you do? How do you survive? And like, 
our generation has just never experienced that. Like we've never, we've, and we've definitely never experienced it in a prolonged way. Like I was just looking back to see, cause after that I was like, man, I got to take a look at like the market crash of the great depression. It, the market crashed almost 90%. It was like 89% from top to bottom. And that happened over the course of three years. I mean, can you imagine like the market just continually going down, 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 down for three years? I mean, we can't even, the, the market crash of 2020, it, it crashed, I think I saw, saw 30%, I think it was, but it happened over the course of 33 days. <laughs> and, then, and then it started to come back. And it's like, we, we've never lived through something like this. And that, that was something that Ray Dalio touched on touch on a lot and that video is a little long we'll make sure to link it it's 44 minutes something like that but you know i mean he pretty much and he had a tweet out um two days ago that said there's six key signs of an empire in decline first one is interest rates hit zero percent second is there's just rampant money printing number three is financial crisis number four is wealth gaps so people you know just absolutely like crazy wealth gaps between people. And then the last two is uh, internal conflict. So he has a visual of kind of like Republicans versus Democrats, which I think we can all uh, understand that. And then the last one is external conflict. So that is where, you know, we start get try to protect our trade routes. We start to try to protect our borders, things like that. And it just turns into um, physical war is at least how it's been in the past. So that to me, that external conflict, it's like, well, what does that look like in the future? So anyways, all that to say, yeah, I think thinking about these things, you, you don't want to get in a panic mode by any stretch. Um, but I think it's worthwhile to at least take a look at some alternative lifestyles and um, making sure that you holding some Bitcoin and um, holding some gold probably and just pretty much preparing for the worst case scenario um, in some in some fashion. So, yeah, this is, this is what it all comes down to. Okay. It's very simple. It's very simple. You buy Bitcoin and you pull it <laughs> off of an exchange. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, that's why Saylor says, Michael Saylor says Bitcoin is, ho is hope, right? Cause like, um, there's, there's two ways to, to two perspectives. When you think about cryptocurrency, there's like the mainstream or like the mainstream corporate media perspective where they're thinking like these people are going to, or they're trying to blow up the, the, the situation or whatever. Um, that's one way to think about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. The, the other perspective is that this is wildly optimistic. You know, it's funny. I hear people talk about Bitcoiners and like, they're like, these people are, you know, doomers, they're preppers. They, they, um, yeah, they're pessimistic. Uh, uh, qu quite on the contrary, I would say it yeah. takes it takes wild optimism to think that you can basically rewrite the global monetary system, um, like borderline, uh, like uh, you know, delusional level levels of optimism. <laughs> okay, yeah. so um, so I yeah, I think that um, it's very simple. People like just everybody can understand it. You buy Bitcoin. You take it off an exchange. There you go. Yep. Cool. Well, I think I think that's a good place to end. We covered a lot today. So very cool.
You got anything else you want to, you want to throw in there? No, no. Until next time, everybody. Okay. All right. See y'all.